Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, Office 365 and Skype for Business podcast. Today's episode was recorded on Easter Sunday, the 5th of April 2015. I'm your host, Steve Goodman, Exchange MVP. This week I'm joined by John Cook and Dave Stork. But before we begin, here's a bit of information about our wonderful sponsor, who makes it a little bit easier to bring you this podcast. Event Zero has the most advanced analytics and reporting for Link and Skype for Business available today. With over 12,000 reports, power lists and dashboards, the comprehensive toolset covers all modalities in a high level of detail, many of which provide administrators with real-time feedback about their environments. Watch for their new Polycom VVX provisioning tool coming very soon. To check them out, go to eventzero.com. All right, how's it going, guys? Good. Happy Easter. Thank you. Thank you. So have you had a good Easter Sunday so far, and have you got anything fun planned for this evening? Uh, well, re- recording this podcast, obviously. <laughs> I'm making lamb two ways. Yeah, so, so so for Dave, it's quite late. And for John, yeah. uh, the evening is just beginning. It's not even dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> Already had dinner, so. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, uh, roast dinner was uh, at the order of the day round around our house. And lots and lots of eggs. All right, straight into the topics today. Uh, so we're going to keep things brief, uh, especially as it's Easter Sunday, and uh, we're either about to get full to bursting or already full to bursting. Uh, so our exchange topics, first up, uh, we've got some cumulative updates and roll-ups for you for exchange. Uh, so there's the big announcement of cumulative update 8 for exchange server 2013, which includes... Uh, so some would say uh, that it's quite a boring update, but I think it includes a few things that uh, customers I'm working with have been waiting for. Uh, what do you think, guys? Um, well, I can understand the, the, the remark that it's a boring uh, update. Um, it, it, uh, first off, um, it seems like it's a stable update, so no new major Yay. issues so that's, that's always a good thing <laughs> that's it a is. good thing i think that the the cumulative update 7 also was uh, bug free uh, so perhaps we're seeing a, a progress there um, having said that i think that exchange is now 2 years on the market it's it's been out quite a while yeah so uh, at ignite i'm sure there'll be some big announcements uh, Probably, but yeah. back in november i was doing the beta but when I was writing the book for the exams, I realized it was two years since I took the beta exams for 2013. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been out for quite a long time. It came out what, uh, late 2012. Uh, so, yeah, it's been out a long time on the market. It, it doesn't feel that way because deployments are really sort of, sort of starting to right. kick off. Now it's so stable. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, the, the things that... Um, except, well, uh, the Exchange team has a blog post with the major improvements, uh, especially focusing on the public folder enhancements. Uh, Indeed, some some good good public folder enhancements, yeah, but some very large customers. Public, <laughs> one million public folders. One million public folders. So the previous, but well, at, at launch it was ten thousand, and then that's increased around about this time last year to a hundred thousand. You got other problems, all right. Uh, well, there's it, something wrong with you. I'll get to that in a second. So then it went it, up, it went up to two hundred and fifty thousand public folders, and yeah, now the limit is one million. That doesn't, but that doesn't mean you need you know 
close to a million to consider it. It might be that you have 300,000 now, but plan to continue growing. And it's, it's knowing that you've got the room to use them. Because some organisations do use and enjoy public folders. Uh, they, fit, they, they work and fit well into an organisation's workflow. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, it might be a good idea, if you can, to kill them with fire. But you don't always <laughs> have to. I, I, I've done it. I've done it multiple times. Have you ever, ever actually heard anyone actually say, "I enjoy public folders"? <laughs> I enjoy public folders. <laughs> oh, I, I, I remember many years mean? ago. I remember many years ago uh, getting my internet groups uh, synchronized. That was good <laughs> until I tried to kill off that internet news groups folder. Many years later, uh, but yeah, so that the, there are some organisations that use them as part of the workflow. I'm, I'm working with with one at the moment where they do appreciate them. All the users like them, uh, the administrators, uh, and those helping uh, with the project, including myself, perhaps aren't quite so keen. So yeah, this is this is good news. This is good news for at least one of my customers. Uh, and it's it's in line with what we were we were hoping and expecting. I didn't realize they'd get to a million this quickly. Well, they were, they were already working on it to, to, uh, to increase that limit. So I guess that once you started and, and you just go in there. Yeah, what, what it doesn't uh, do is increase that limit in Office 365, though. So that's yeah. still 100,000, and that's that. But that's still a challenge to... to uh, migrate that indeed yeah so, so. I, I haven't performed it yet I only did a, a legacy to modern public folders migration or no best uh, well, yeah, yeah, the, there isn't a supported path to migrate public folders from exchange 2013 to exchange online at the moment mm. though you can use a third party tool like Bino Tree or of course migration yeah. with or uh, PSTs all PSTs, yes. I, I've done that from from a non-exchange environment that had uh, something similar like public folders and then migrated for your PSTs. Yeah, or, or just get Outlook connected to to do accounts and just drag and drop them across. Well, it basically basically was that <laughs> one at a time <laughs> yeah. for that million. <laughs> it, it, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the but, big, the but, big challenge with with trying to man manually move them that kind of way though is trying to lock them. You know, switching them to to read only, and what can you switch to read only? Dealing with mail enabled public folder. So, but but there's a reasonably good coexistence story if you're keeping them on premise in a long term hybrid environment. So it's not it's not all bad news. Uh, so if you are a big user of public folders and you are are going to keep them on-prem at the moment and move them to 2013, then they may have to stay there for quite some time. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, so we'll, we'll mention uh, some some active sync improvements in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've got doo -doo -doo -doo, calendar and contact mob modern public folder favourites uh, that are added in Outlook and now accessible in OWA as well. Uh, and various bug fixes. Well, uh, um well, you you already mentioned the uh, ActiveSync redirection. Um, yeah, other so things, uh, some smaller things that, but still are quite important to me. Uh, for instance, that um, uh, the STP transportation uh, doesn't uh, only use uh, TLS uh, 1.0 and not 1.1 or 1.2, um, especially with the uh, Poodle. I think. Uh, you, where it's uh, advisable to disable SSL3 uh, on your uh, Exchange server. Um, that 
meant that SNTP would only work with TLS 1.0 and yeah. not any higher. Um, and well, uh, because everybody is now very security conscious about uh, SSL connections, uh, it was kind of a bit of a disappointment that you could only do 1.0 and some government uh, in, in the Netherlands, some governments just recommend or demand at least 1.0 and highly, highly recommend 1.1 or 1.2 uh, in, in, in most cases. So uh, that is a little update that is um, fixed in cognitive update uh, 8 and in roll-up update um, Nine, nine for yeah, 2010 as well. So update roll up nine for Exchange twenty ten uh, is uh, no. It's, it's been out for nearly two weeks now because uh, this has been three weeks since the last podcast. I think these got launched uh, a few days after uh, our last uh, podcast was released, so they've been out for a good few weeks, and there's not been any issues reported. I've used it with at least one customer, and to no ill effect as well. Uh, and again, that's that's just a, a few bug fixes as well. So, uh, recurring of, uh, events on ActiveSync devices, the same EAS uh, improvements for Office 365, which again we'll talk about in a second. And yeah, that same TLS issue. Yeah. Well, most importantly, that isn't valid for IMAP and POP3 yet. Right. So you, um, it's just really basically SNTP that is, uh, and that's the most important protocol, obviously, compared to as uh, IMAP and uh, POP3. But um, yeah, take that into to, to account. So, Exchange ActiveSync onboarding to Office 365. This is this is quite an interesting topic. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, and I think it's it, it's going to sound more exciting than it is in reality. So, uh, are you guys aware of the potential scenarios where this isn't likely to work for people? Well, it always depends on the client. Yes, um, it does. Whether yes. the, and and I, I believe that they um, removed this functionality because most clients didn't even support that, except for Windows Phone. Well, things um, have moved on significantly. So, redirection has worked with most ES clients for quite a long time. Uh, so that 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 was first quite apparent uh, with Office three six five when it used the pod numbers, and um, people get moved around between pods over time, uh, and uh, Android clients had a lot of issues with that. And these days they are slightly better. Uh, so the ActiveSync onboarding to Office three six five. I'll just give you a quick basic overview of the problem. So after you move a mailbox using the hybrid uh, moves, the remote moves, to Office 365, then the client, like Outlook, will automatically get reconfigured uh, and it, it'll keep its OST and the client will automatically be able to log in. Uh, so it's a fairly smooth process. So for most migrations over the last few years, they'll just get prompted for their password. However, it's, and, and it's uh, because of auto-discover. Exactly, yes. Uh, so so, so it'll, it, it'll get a message from the server to say that the mailbox isn't there. It'll trigger an auto-discover on the Outlook client and then connect the mailbox, Sim similar to a move between servers uh, in, within the organization, but going through a full new auto-discover process. On mobile devices, though, ActiveSync never responded to say things have changed. It just said, you know, you can't access your email. 
which would mean that the client would need the the ActiveSync client would need to be reconfigured, either via the mobile device management software or manually on the device. Uh, what this change does is it gives a redirect to Office 365. So that so the article that we'll link up shows you through the process where it'll look at the organization relationship and then it'll redirect them if they're moved to Office 365 and, and tell them to look at outlook.office365.com instead. There is yeah, cool. there is one major downside to that. And that and most organizations uh, m- most you know probably 99% are using the domain name and username on the ActiveSync device, rather than using the full UPN. One common uh, prerequisite for moving to Office 365 or remediation action is to change the UPNs to match things like the email address to make this a little bit more seamless. So this is this might look appealing at first, but it might not actually help your existing estates in the short term at least. So I think if you are if you're thinking long term that you're going to move to Office 365 but you're not sure whether you're even going to buy it yet uh, or you're just about to embark on a project to move then this is probably going to be one of these day one actions every mobile device after this point uses the the UPN rather than the domain backslash username to connect and that UPN will have to stay the same uh, after moving to Office 365 because it's going to redirect them to Office 365 however what it's not going to do is change that domain backslash username into the UPN which will mean that they won't be able to log on after moving uh, so it's so so it sounds quite good but it needs it, you need to consider uh, whether or not it's going to actually work for your organization right now. And if you're setting out and thinking it could be a few years down the line, then consider this as the moment that you do your groundwork to make sure that this is not a headache for you in the future. Well, even even so, uh, regarding the, the subject of the uh, user principal name, yeah. the, active, active, the Active Directory user principal name, um, I'm... Well, you can use the alternate log identity, but that has some issues. Then, well, it's so. not supported with hybrid. Exactly, and these um, are for hybrid moves. Yes. Oh, right. Good, good, good mention. But um, it's uh, in my experience, you will be uh, very, 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 very happy when your uh, AD UPN uh, corresponds with your uh, primary mail address. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that that should. Even um, if you don't plan to go to Office 365, it's it's basically a good thing to do. I agree. I agree, and it's it's something that I, that I've done for, for you know before Office 365. It makes a lot of sense for to discover. You know, keep the email address and the UPN the same. There's no good reason not to do that. I've had a few people say, "Oh, it's a security risk." Well, because the email address equals the username. Knowing someone's yeah, no, username, if that's if that's yeah, if that's going to, I mean, if you don't have those, if you don't have those all the same, and that's and that goes for for SIP address as well. Mm. Um, all these mobile clients now assume that, um, especially, and so you know when you go to, to configure a new account, if your VPN don't match, it's just another you know pain point for the user where they got to put in a manual username and blah blah blah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and there are situations that you, that it's very hard to to change your uh, AD UPN. Um, I know some some application that that store the UPN in their own database for permissions within the application, and then yeah. you get into trouble. And again, uh, but, start thinking but about still, it early. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, he, he, I, I do it with with uh, a new architecture design, and it's the, one of the first things is that that's that's just the golden rule. Um, the UPN will be the same as the SDP address. Yeah. So if you are one of those organisations, then this is this is going to be great news because it does mean simple moves. Of course, you've got to look at the mobile devices you've got in your estate. There's loads of scripts to help you find that information and uh, and make sure that that it's going to work with your devices. If you've standardised on a particular device that doesn't support redirection, then well, it's not going to be super great. Uh, and if you've got an MDM solution and, and can roll out new profiles to clients, then this might be a you know a non a non it might not be that interesting for you i think that moves us quite smoothly into office 365 then uh just just as that active sync change might move your mobile devices smoothly into office 365 i should just shut up that's not even funny i thought it was it sounded good before i opened my mouth uh and this this is a this is another absolutely fantastic change in office 365 which is going to make the outlook moves very very smooth uh for, for clients and also enable proper multi-factor authentication. So if you haven't heard about it, the Office 2013 and 2016 Modern Authentication Public Preview has been announced. So Modern Authentication basically means that you can, if you've got Active Directory Federation services deployed, then your domain join machines on network can use Windows Integrated Authentication to log into Office 365 from the Office clients. I.e., when you launch Outlook, you won't need a username and password uh, to access the service. It'll just go in smoothly as if it was connecting to an on-premises Exchange server. Hmm. And I think that's I, I think that pretty cool. Is a game changer. Hmm. That's something that people have asked for since day one. And oh, it's not, years and years. Yeah. It's not a yeah. big issue, but it's always a concern. And this, this, I think, for, for quite some time, people have said, "Oh, you know, you only, you don't need ADFS anymore. Does something with password sync is mm. is pretty much as good." And for the experience in Outlook, that is that's been entirely true. I think this does change things significantly uh, because once this is, it goes into general availability, uh, and a few niggling sort of bugs with things like RMS uh, are dealt with then this is going to make moves to Office 365 mm, yeah. for mailboxes absolutely you know, transparent to, to users. A well-planned migration uh, is going to... A well-planned migration to Office 365 is, is going to be something that just happens in the background, and it's all going to be about enabling the other services for users uh, rather than preparing them for big changes and password prompts and, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, this is this is great. The other major change this brings is it makes proper multi-factor authentication work as well. So if you've got a token system or you're using just Office 365 MFA and you launch Outlook, then instead of it needing this app password thing, which doesn't isn't really multi-factor auth in its true sense, uh, it, Outlook will prompt... Uh, and you'll have to pop in the pin from your phone or authorize it before it will log in. Uh, so the, the way this works is using uh, OAuth for authentication. So it gets different types of tokens using this Active Directory authentication library. So there's a refresh token and an access token. So the access token 
is a short-lived one, and that's just used for an hour just to get access to the service. And then the refresh token has a longer life of 14 days by default, and the client will request that via the ADFS server, and it'll keep on using that. Uh, it'll use that rather than having to pass real credentials back uh, and get a new access token every time it needs to prove its identity to the service again. So this is this is going to be great for for other apps down the line as well that need usernames and password because effectively it's saying OAuth is enabled with Exchange Online, which is going to be great for what the, the Outlook client for iOS, where you know no longer will a password need to be stored on that client using its current infrastructure. Uh, so it's so very it's very very good. Yeah, well, it's cool. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, so I, I know I have several customers who are uh, waiting uh, for for the, especially the uh, uh, multi-factor authentication. Yes, uh, so so do I as well. Uh, it's it's something that people are very interested in, and and when I speak to customers either on behalf of Microsoft or, or directly. Uh, then, then that's something that comes up. I've had a few customers say this, you know, that's a complete block. We don't want any credentials, you know, for the user stored on the device. It has to, you know, it has to authenticate to, directly to the service. It can't, it can't store the password. They'll have to enter the password every time Outlook launches. You know, this this will solve those kind of issues for them. Uh, so yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, is, it does this um, uh, because you said about the uh, token being uh, valid for 14 days, was it? Uh, the the re- uh, refresh token. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, access token is one hour. Uh, does it mean that when um, the user is in the internal network and then leaves the uh, building and goes to a coffee shop and connects to uh, Exchange Online again, uh, will he have to uh, re-authenticate again, or is that no, not immediately? So there's the refresh token. That so there's, still these are the defaults. So there's some controls around things like that. But yeah, so you get your token on prem. You leave the, the you know you leave Outlook open. It's not going to pop up and expect the multi-factor authentication. Indeed, if you launch Outlook again uh, after leaving the building and then going to a coffee shop and launch Outlook, then again it's not going to request that token, uh, the multi-factor authentication immediately. When you launch Outlook, it's gonna it's gonna be based on those intervals. So you've got that refresh token, which you can use to always re-request that access token. Uh, and once that refresh token expires, then you'll need to use the multi-factor authentication again. So those are the kind of things that an organ- on an organization by organization basis, people might want to adjust. However, uh, it's it's set at some sensible defaults that are going to mean that your average office worker. Uh, is is not going to be troubled by this, uh, and of course, it, it might be that people in, inside the internal network will have ADFS policies that don't even require MFA. It'll just be external people who are usually on the road. What if you don't drink coffee? Will it still work for you? <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. Sorry. <laughs> if you don't drink coffee, are you, you know, does it work? I, I, I think that outside of a coffee shop. Oh, yeah. They sell tea as well and <laughs> chocolate, chocolate milk. Yeah, you, yeah, you can get all sorts of things from coffee shops or uh, pastries. I know, but but I, I, I find all day breakfast work very well for me. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, moving, moving on. <laughs> Before we, we we waste time talking about coffee shops anymore. 
especially at this time of night where I shouldn't be drinking any coffee at all. Uh, how to stay informed of changes. So there's a, a great blog uh, that uh, I saw over on the Office 365 uh, technical network on Yammer uh, by by Joe. Uh, let, let me get this right. Pa- I've never said his name out. Pa- Pala Palacio. Joe Palacio. If I'm wrong, tell me, Joe. Uh, and really, what he what he's done, he's collected, he's get, sh- uh, sharing his experience of how uh, he keeps up to date with all the different changes across uh, Office 365 technologies. So, uh, the official Microsoft sources he follows, blogs, Twitter accounts, Yammer groups he uses, podcasts he listens to, ours is on the list, uh, and user groups. <laughs> And so he's got all, all the so stuff. Ba- basically, we all only have to watch this blog, and <laughs> yeah, uh, well, well, but he's not giving the. He's saying who who, who does he follow? So uh, he, he follows the Office Three Six Five roadmap, the Exchange Team blog, Office blogs, Active Directory documentation team, the official RMS team, Active Directory team blog, uh, the Directory Sync version history wiki there's a whole long list of things that he follows and the way that he follows them and keeps them up to date and it's absolutely you know it's absolutely great for newbies to office 365 and i think that fits well with other tools like if uh, tt uh so if that then do this uh where you can put the internet to work for you uh so using things like the rss feeds that he mentions then what i do and this is how i get some of the topics for the show i use ifttt uh, to monitor those feeds and then either post them to my company's yammer to make it look like i'm really on the ball and to send me episode <laughs> topics <laughs> i got a message from a bus going ah oh, you must have been thinking of, of that other customer the other day i'm like what? what? <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. didn't even know I posted it. Uh, so yes, it's no, absolutely fantastic to make a your life easy, and you know you'll get things like those blogs via email. You'll get the IP address list updates uh, for Office three six five via email. So yeah, his his list is great. Add this uh, with one of those automation tools like IFTTT, and and then it'll it'll keep you informed. Uh, and uh, well, I use um, uh, Feedly.com uh, for uh, all the RSS feeds, and I combine them in one view, and then have, uh, for instance, ne- Next Gen Reader on on Windows, Windows Phone, um, for all those uh, blog posts and and, and articles and changes. Uh, um, and for instance, uh, changes in IP lists in Office 365. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, from, from what I saw that, that that's very useful information, um, uh, and 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 then with uh, extra tools like uh, if this then that and and Feedly and and what what else you got um, it can be very helpful in your career. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, another big announcement, and this feels like ages ago now. Uh, the Office 2016 IT Pro and Developer Preview has been released. Uh, so, really, uh, you want to start having a play with that now, uh, because if you're a click-to-run customer, this is just going to randomly appear one day in the future. Well, we'll have warned you and warned you and warned you. Microsoft will have warned you, but it, the client will get updated to that. You should be playing with this now. So, it's the click-to-run installer for the next version of Office at its, its current stage, and it's progressing quite quickly uh, so you can sign up for that and, and have a go with it and we'll put the link up I'm scared it was not <laughs> uh, I, I, I've been on the, the, the preview as an MVP for a while I'm back on 2013 uh, not because there was any issue with it really because I wanted to uh, check out the, the Skype for Business preview which we'll talk about in a mo uh, and yeah I, I think it's good um, 
I've got a couple of customers that use it. Uh, one of my customers, Graham, had some issues installing it the first time, but got there eventually. So there might have been some issues originally with the installer for the public preview, but they've obviously been fixed by now. Uh, so yeah, it looks good. Uh, uh, so more updates for Outlook for iOS. Uh, so the, every single show is going to have updates by the sound of it, because every two weeks they are releasing some updates. So we'll have something to report. Uh, if it's a really slow week, it might just be us discussing the big, long update for Outlook for iOS and Android. Uh, I, don't, I don't even use an Android or, or an Apple device. So <laughs> main things. <laughs> well, hey now. Uh, so the the biggest change with this is access to contacts and the gal like you know like it didn't need that from the start so this is a fantastic update and it's good to see them, that they're keeping this cadence of, of continually you know doing as they promised and releasing updates for it uh, yeah I agree except that, that that outage they had last week was, was a bummer uh, or not last week probably a couple weeks ago now oh, I don't know uh, I think it was only for like an hour or so but it was something with the authentication mechanism but that it just, well, fine for you know, me. just shines a light on um you know, kind of how in this new world where it's, uh, there's nothing wrong with the app and it's not my credentials into my server nope. that's the problem. It's actually this, you know, OAuth Clearinghouse or whatever they're doing. And, yep. You know, to even get past them back to your own server, you know. So, Active sync. What's yeah, for me? I mean, it was like, curses, why are you not working? <laughs> Uh, but yes, it's a great app, <laughs> and uh, I, I love it. I, I really want to. I wish I could. Uh, you could uh, change the fonts and stuff. Though it's my one. Yeah, it's harder for me to read with my old eyes. <laughs> the fonts uh, are small. Uh, actually, with the latest, uh, the, the thing is, and uh, while it's using all this, so I can't really use it with with my work email. So it's so you know, I'm, I, and my work device is is a Windows device. So I'm not I'm not using it yet. Maybe I'll wait until. Uh, until a bit later, but it's but but uh, you know lots of customers that I've spoken to they've already blocked this, uh, so it's, it's yeah. one is one to have a play with. So I've been playing with it occasionally, uh, but I'm, I don't use it on a day to day basis yet. Uh, the main oh, for- the key thing for me is calendars and uh, making sure that I've got absolutely fantastic access to my calendars across all devices uh, notifications at the right time. You know my today view on the iPad shows it correctly. That's the thing that's important for me. Um, uh- well, yeah. Um, uh, uh, one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting for is that they move uh, their servers from uh, Amazon to to Azure and, and keep it completely in, in, in Microsoft hands. Indeed. Yeah. I assume that's going to... I mean, I'm sure that's Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's right? going to happen. But, but perhaps that outage was something of a precursor. Well, that's just... Preparation it, right? style stuff. <laughs> their first so, try. Yeah, yeah. It reminds reminds me a little bit about the Hotmail migration years and years back from from uh, I believe it was Red Hat servers to FreeBSD. FreeBSD, yeah. yes. Yeah. But in, in any case, that that is um, at least in the Netherlands for a lot of customers, it's it, that is the main reason um, to block this app. So that's still still the case. Yep. Yeah, uh, so it'll get there. It'll get there, and oh, this sure. is the point. Though, it's good to see that it's that we we get to see it improving. You know, we're, mm. we're not having to wait until some big V one. Uh, yeah. We're seeing it improving all the time. So when you know, it'll be ready for different organisations at different times. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this one is is an article by you, Dave. Uh, right. So yeah. as your AD sync an introduction, and it's part one of. Part one of the series. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and it's actually part one of the introduction. The, uh, part one of the introduction. <laughs> yeah, I split the introduction in two parts. See, I can say nothing with my 19-part uh, msexchange.org articles. <laughs> well, but, but the the reason that I started it was uh, especially because I had a, a, a customer with some specific requirements, so I had to dig in um, um, Azure Active Directory synchronization quite quite a bit. And I, I encountered a lot of information and, and, and issues and stuff like that that uh, I've noticed that is not very common knowledge, which sh actually should be common knowledge. Um, if you are uh, working in IT in, in a Microsoft environment and you are potentially looking at uh, uh, cloud services by Microsoft. Um, so that is the reason why I started to, to write this this. Uh, blog series and um, well the the introduction is, is published the, the part one and part two and it basically just tells you what kind of synchronization tools you have cool um, and and um, what the differences are um, but upcoming parts will discuss uh, filtering uh, filtering of objects uh, so uh, be, to prevent, um, uh, for instance, user accounts that you don't want to have in, in Office 365. So you can filter them. Uh, another uh, subject will be object matching for yeah. if you have uh, multiple forests and how that works and some other uh, caveats. I've you're going to have to be quick, aren't you, though? Or, or, or you're going to have to start again and update it for as your AD Connect uh, yeah. when, when that lands. <laughs> Right. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, and 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 some other stuff that probably will come yeah, in, in yeah. the coming day. So, it's, cool. It's, it's, right. it's a bit. Uh, it's quite a big series, but you can uh, pick and choose the different topics. Um, if you already have uh, knowledge about um, um, certain things, then you can skip parts. It's it's basically a a, a good starter for for IT professionals that uh, need to know more about. Uh, uh, directory synchronization. So cool, very cool. A, li a little plug from myself. And the the last Office three six five topic, and I I can't believe I I can't believe I missed this originally. It's the the biggest one uh, and of most interest to to so many people. Office three six five mobile device management is GA. Uh, so that's absolutely fantastic news. Uh, so yeah, actually I haven't tried this yet. I've been meaning to with my tenant to to, to check it out. I haven't even looked at it yet. Uh, I've, it's, I've, it's very interesting stuff. I've not enabled it myself. I've I've seen uh, you know uh, MVP demos of what it should look like and stuff like that, and how to use it. Uh, but but yeah, t this week has been quite a busy one for me, so I've not had a chance to to get a proper hands on. Uh, and I'm off on holes for the next week, so I I'm not going to switch on conditional access and lock myself out of my home email just yet. <laughs> Uh, so, yes, yeah, so if you don't know what the Office 365 MDM stuff is, so basically it's taking some of the Intune features, uh, but just for your Office 365 stuff. So, obviously, you can't use it with your on-prem. Uh, it's aimed at your Office 365 services, not your third-party apps, your Office 365 apps. So, you get some key features. So, you get conditional access, uh, and that means that you can make sure that based on certain conditions, mobile devices will or won't be able to re uh, receive access to things like corporate email and documents. Uh, for example, uh, if a device is jailbroken, it shouldn't be able to access email. Uh, 
um, because it might not really have the pin set. Uh, it might be tricking it or, or there might be a back end to, to retrieve that data from the device. So it, it'll mandate that the app has to be installed on the device. The device will uh, register with Office 365 and say, yes, uh, this this doesn't have, this isn't jailbroken, everything looks fine about it, it meets the conditions. And from that point, uh, the, the app, uh, the device will be able to receive email. Uh, there's the device management sides as well, so making sure that you've got the, more than just the basic Active Sync uh, pin settings and stuff like that. Uh, so full full security policies that are tailored to different types of mobile devices. So features that are specific to iOS or some Android and Samsung devices uh, will be available. You have to go through the basics that you would do with any MDM solution, like requesting uh, the the correct free key f uh, from Apple, for example. Uh, but it's a fairly straightforward process. But you get that proper device management for your Office 365 stuff uh, and management of Office 365 apps. So when, if at some point in the future they release the right uh, apps that, that hook into this, for things like Word, Office apps, then you'll be able to manage those with this. And of course, selective wipes. So you can remove company data, but leave all the rest of the stuff where it is on the device uh, so if someone leaves and they've connected a personal device you won't have to wipe the photos uh, of the kids uh, you'll just be able to take off company specific data so yeah Holly. that's great that's that's good news yeah and i i'm very happy even though it's a it's a subset of the uh intune and sscm system center configuration manager uh, features um uh, what i've already seen with exchange active sync a lot of companies find that um adequate so yeah uh, but but times have changed especially mobile devices are more prevalent now than than five years ago um, so I'm 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 very very happy with this addition, and in Office 365 that that just has a little bit more flexibility compared to ActiveSync, which which has actually no flexibility. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's good. You know, Office 365 is is you know a reasonable price, but it needs to have lots of features to meet to make it really good value for money. So this is you know absolutely fantastic. The, the better return on the investment people get with Office 365, the more likely they are, they are to stay with the service. Sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, so so it's it's good news for for someone like me who does a lot of Office 365 stuff uh, because it's it's one more it's one more string to its bow. Uh, that helps prove the value of it uh, to to customers. Yeah. Well, fortunately, yeah, it's agreed. it's not 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 enabled yet in my my test tenant, so I couldn't play with it. So it it ah. will be uh, become available in what uh, four to six weeks or something like that worldwide. Yeah, I'm I'm just have a look in my tenant and see if it's there yet. Oh, oh no, it wants me to sign it to the wrong wrong one. Do, 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 do. Let's have a look. I'll have a look later. Uh, it, but yeah, so, so I've, I've switched on first release. So if you're expecting to see it soon and you've got a test tenant, then, then I'd switch that on as well. Uh, and sometimes if you sign up for a brand new tenant, then you might get these features immediately by signing up for one, switching on first release, rather than your existing one. It's probably not a good idea to go and switch on first release on your, your organization's tenant, though, unless you've got prior approval. Moving on to our Q&A topic for this week. Uh, we've got a reader's letter uh, from Alistair Kreisman uh, in the UK, uh, writing in from sunny Norwich. Uh, so, 
I am doing some research for an exciting project which is coming up, writes Alistair. And before I build this in a demo environment to test, I've got a couple of questions for you guys. Now, uh, who is good at multi-forest moves? John? Dave? Uh, multi-forest moves. Been a while. Uh, oh, that, that's been a while. Cross-forest moves. Yes. <laughs> uh, I admit, I don't, I don't get them coming up all the time. If, if there's a cross-forest move, it's, it's plan, move all plan, our forests plan. into Office 365. Yeah, plan uh, and test, though. Yeah. Definitely plan and test. All right, yeah. so he's got two forests joined by a two-way twist. Domain A is running Exchange 2010. And Domain B is running Exchange 2007. The goal is to migrate all the users from Domain A to Domain B. Okay, sounds sounds straightforward enough. However, Wh- he's moving from was... so he's moving from 2010. The goal is to move them onto Domain B, running 2007. It's probably an organizational choice. Uh, because probably, of, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, I, actually, I have done that. Um, well, I've assisted with it because uh, there were some issues. Um, well, if you're going to downgrade uh, from 2010 to 2007, um, you cannot use the um, uh, online move. Um, you will have to have uh, you have to use the offline move, and that means that uh, the mailbox move will when you start a mailbox move that user cannot use uh, his or her mailbox um so that immediately impacts your uh planning for uh, mailbox moves because you will undoubtedly have downtime and um how long that will be that depends on how much data and how fast the platform is well there's so, more to it than this there's more oh, to it than oh, obviously but the, the well, there's more to his question, actually. Oh, oh, even that. Okay. Yes, and that might change the. It might change your answer. Oh. So, his customer would like to migrate all the users to domain B first, uh, and using ADMT to copy the seed history across to domain B, so they can access their mailbox in the source forest and other resources in the source domain. He thinks that they'll be able to access the mailbox with seed history, so that they'll probably need to convert it to, to link mailboxes as well, really. That's what I'd, I'd expect to do. Uh, so they'll be in domain B, mailbox is still in domain A. Okay? Oh, okay, so the, the, the both forests will... So that's step one. That's step yeah. one. Okay. And then for the second part of the project, they would like to upgrade Exchange 2007 to Exchange 2013. Do that first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they would like to migrate mailboxes from domain A to domain B using new remote move request. But doing research online, it warns you that you need to pre- run the prepare move request to create a mail-enabled user in domain B before running ADMT. Well, that that used to be the advice, but you can actually run it after now. Mm, yeah. So the original advice, like the original blog posts, advise doing it first. And it does work easier if you do it first. However, you can merge it the other way around afterwards. So if you've done ADMT first, that's not a big issue. All right, so, and the final question then is, after all that, uh, 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 so am I better off convincing the customer to upgrade Domain B's Exchange 2007 to Exchange 2013 first? Then just use the prepare move request, migrate the users using ADMT to domain B, and then move the, the mailboxes across to Exchange 2013. Well, yeah, because you could even use the mailboxes move themselves to create new objects too, right? And sort of, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if these merging domains or just migrating to them, but you could use... It looks, uh, it looks like there'll be one domain in the end, domain B. Yeah. 
Okay. So you could even leverage Exchange to try to you know automate some of that stuff too. But what I'd do is I'd I'd install Exchange 2013. It might not if if he's not planning on moving mailboxes immediately, doesn't necessarily need to 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 fully size the environment out. Uh, but if the the goal is to put 2013 into domain B, then start that process now. So he can do prepare move requests first. But if the second part, if the customer wants to do the moves later, then then he can do some of that prep work in advance. Uh, or instead of moving any of the mailboxes to 2007 and then moving them to 2013, then he can move them directly to 2013 in the first place. So that I think that would give more options. Having 2013 in addition to 2007 in the... In, in domain B. I think you solved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's probably more to it than that, isn't there? So what about the linked accounts, though? So if you do the prepare move request, uh, that you, that's not going to sort the linked accounts. So ADMT the accounts across, then you could... you. I, I would avoid the linked accounts part, though, to be honest. I would yeah. avoid the linked mailboxes. I would, I, I would suggest... Cr- yeah, I I think I would perhaps rethink the way of doing it ever so slightly and say, you know, let's let's size out this 2013 environment for the the users from domain A first. You know, we don't we won't move people from 2007 across yet. We'll leave the 2007 users as is, um, but move the domain A users straight onto 2013 at the same point that they they start using those domain accounts, uh, because then you're going to get the online moves. You're going to be able to pre-stage that as well across, and you're not going to have any, uh, you know, kerfuffle with link mailboxes because, off the top of my head, uh, it's not supported to convert a user mailbox to a link mailbox, is it? Or is it the other way around? Uh, I don't yeah, remember now. Mm, I never worked with uh, link mailboxes, so uh, I, I always try no. to avoid that. Uh. Uh, I don't remember now. It's <laughs> one way or the other. It's not supported. Um, but I'm not sure which way. You can do it though. You can you, you can do it. It's it's not uh, it's not a, a blocker. Uh, so so it's, it's, it, it could be quite troublesome. Uh, I I'd go for the simplest approach, which is to think about where what the end goal is, and then look at the simplest way to achieve that. So the goal is to get those users onto Exchange 2013, uh, and I, I would look at that, you know, Exchange 2013 in Domain B, uh, and look at building out that environment, and then part two of the project, upgrade those 2007 users to 2013 as well, i.e. migrate those mailboxes across, either build out the environment if it needs to be, or if it's already built, just move those mailboxes across too. Uh, that's what I'd do. Okay, then. All right, okay. So, uh, you're up next, John, uh, because we're moving on to the Skype for Business topics. Um, there's, there's no point calling it Link anymore, is there? Well, no, it's, I mean, <laughs> I keep on doing it, and it's, you know, I mean, I mean, a lot of people are just doing, like, you know, using the slash, right? Skype, whatever, <laughs> Skype for Business, Link, whatever, but yeah. Yeah, so, but... Begrudgingly, but, slowly but surely, we're going to have to just start sucking it up and using it. Yeah, so, so in the same way that we don't call it the OCS slash Link slash Skype for Business topics, <laughs> it is, the, this is the Skype for business section from now on. And, and, and don't forget the LCS, so LCS, OCS. Yeah, yeah. I was at a laptop for a, a corporate build the other day and it had a mock client on it. I'm like, really, man? Like, it's like a mock client. That's old. Uh, however, we're still going to have stories that, uh, that focus on Link 2013 and stuff like that, though. Uh, and, so, so, and our first one does. Uh, 
Uh, and it's uh, by Tate Mikal, and it's about the Link Kerberos account. Uh, and, and I've got sent that from well, uh, from from him himself, uh, and uh, and Pat's also picked up on this. Uh, so, what what this post is about is something that uh, he's picked up on as, as one of the least discussed features in Link, which is the Link Kerberos account. Uh, and and he wants you to read it. In fact, he tells us not to dare close the window. We know it's there. The best practice analyzer tells us that it's considered best practices to enable Kerberos authentication for web traffic. And in this article, he tells you how to do it. Uh, and he's even got uh, videos, the whole works, and uh, too long didn't read at the end to tell you the basics on it, uh, which is Kerberos authentication it's based on tickets. It's better than NTM, NTLM. Always deploy the Link Kerberos account. Yeah, it's a great post. Um, definitely, we should we have a link up to it, right? Um, Indeed, yes. Um, it's one of those things. I mean, I you know, it's not well documented necessarily, and it's one of those things that you really should t- take a look at. Yes, uh, so I, I met Mika. At, how to do it is very helpful. I met Mika at TechEd Europe uh, last year. Uh, he's a great guy. Uh, yeah, so he's, a, uh, I'm looking forward to meet him too at, uh, at Ignite. He's yes, he's going there as well. Uh, so, and, and if you see him uh, then, and you've read his post and you found it useful, give him a pat on the back. Uh, so, so, yes, thank you for that. And, and yeah, if you haven't read it, then please do so. The link will, as always, be on the blog. Uh, and the next one is uh, from Rizal's blog. So Rizal are a UK partner uh, who do get involved uh, within the community. I think they sponsored the an event called Future Decoded by Microsoft uh, late last year. And I know a few people that work there, and they're all reasonably great. Uh, and, and this is a blog post on network planning for the Silk Codec in Skype for Business. Uh, and it's talking about you know what what do you need to consider uh, before you start deploying this, uh, and this is really talking about things like the audio codec bandwidth requirements, uh, and aimed at those who are already uh, link specialists who need to to I think uh, update their planning skills uh, for this new codec. Yeah, I mean you know it's, it's uh, this it's been you know the silk's been on a, on a while. It's a default codec in um, in Skype client yeah. um, for all this time, but now it's uh, it's been added to to link. And the Skype business client, so um, you know, I see, expect that we're going to transition to that more and more. As I understand uh, it, then, so when everyone's on that client, then this will be the default offered. I believe so. Yeah. 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 So I mean, basically, he's got the, the numbers broken out to uh, compare both the existing codecs and 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 Silk um, and different um, you know components, the, the the raw data rate, the header size, and so on, um, and with with four error correction. Um, so I mean, it's great, you know, great chart. Uh, definitely something to consider when you're doing network planning um, for Link. You know, to to qualify. You know, to qualify. I'm, I'm assuming, and again, I, I'm expecting we're going to get more guidance on this, and you know, the, the official documentation will be updated to, to add this stuff. I, I'm hoping that the bandwidth calculator will will be modified at some point to um, to you know include this stuff too. Yeah. Um, include Silk as well, and hopefully one day, maybe if 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 there is a God, we'll actually be able to edit the bandwidth <laughs> the bandwidth calculator for Link, so we can get rid of some of the stuff that you don't want in there. It's, it, it vexes me that we that things locked out. You can't you can't edit anything. But so, yeah, good stuff. Definitely, definitely good stuff. In fact, in fact, I missed both of these. Uh, so I'm learning today, and I like that. 
<laughs> well, if you want to see something cool, our next topic is a video showing how to control. This is this is always like just for fun, really, isn't it? Uh, we should maybe we should have a, a section at the end of the show where we have a, in other news, a funny water, a three-legged dog managed to get itself trapped down a well or something funny like that. Actually, that's not funny at all. Uh, uh, but this is this isn't really one that you're going to use in the business. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it but it is pretty cool. Uh, a video showing how to control Link or Skype for business with your arms or voice using the Microsoft Connect. Uh, I, I've seen I've seen something like this years and years ago for VMware, moving VMware virtual machines around using your hands. And ages ago, I thought, oh, that would be really cool. I should make something where you can like fail over uh, database availability uh, mailbox databases between between servers doing that but I, I never really got around to doing it so this is quite cool uh that, that you well, can you make a mistake doing that you know it's really gonna be hard to explain that <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. how, why did the deck this mount well you, I, I was <laughs> waving out the window and, 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 what, and what about documentation <laughs> i mean how do you document your actions like yeah just wave my hands and... yes and it happens yeah. magic hands <laughs> Well, a, co- a co-worker, two co-workers of mine uh, did that with the uh, Xbox One, uh, Xbox 360 uh, yeah. Connect, and they, uh, to promote and demote uh, the main controller. <laughs> Build something like that. Well, uh. Proof of concept is very nice, but I, I don't see your, your admin. I, I wouldn't like to see your admin doing that with, with the Connect. <laughs> It could be cool. They're going. Someone has to have some sort of mission control office where they they have done some of these things, and it would only ever work in that environment. Uh, some someone who's a little bit overpaid gets a little bit too much autonomy. If if you're that listener, please call in and show us some pictures. We'll love it. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so that I don't think it happens in most places. Uh, the the best most of us get is a big TV on the wall that we have an HTML page up there. Refreshing and showing us when the queues are too big. <laughs> well, I've I found that link of my two co-workers. So <laughs> with a video, you so. found a link of your t- you found a video of your two co-workers <laughs> yeah, the, promoting well, a domain control. They've, they've videoed it as well. That does... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's in Dutch show, but uh, <laughs> you get the picture. So you asked for uh, the infinite possibilities of connect. So yeah, yeah, you got it. Cool. Maybe we should put that link up too, then. <laughs> uh, paste it in and I'll stick it on. Uh, next, let's get back on to more serious topics. You need to get ready now for Skype for Business. Right now, the second. Yes. Or whenever we hear this. Yes. Uh, so, so uh, on Office Blogs, uh, I am ready. This episode was brought to you by Skype for Business. And that's why I've downgraded to, to 2013. So I can install the the preview of the version that's coming out very soon. Uh, so the Skype for Business client is coming to Office 2013. So your Office 2013 client, if you're getting all the updates, will auto-magically morph depending on various <laughs> settings, you know, depending on you know, what, what client access policies are set and registry entries are set and, and, and so have you. We had a link a couple of shows back uh, with a, a table. So have a look on, I think, episode 49. Uh, we had a, a table of what happens when. Uh, but it's going to happen. And you can test yeah. this out and for yourself I mean, now. You definitely, yeah, you really, 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 and I can't emphasize this enough, 
need to read the blogs uh, associated with this. Um, we talked about Ari Prothero's uh, article also a couple yeah. episodes back. That's the one. Good, yeah, he's got a good. Um, uh, well, he's got the one from I forget his name from Proficient, um, um, who had the table where like oh, this right. is the default paper. Ari had the article on the commandlets to add so to to, to enable the, the 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 client policy setting. So. What's gonna and again? This is why it's imperative. Actually, I just had to literally do this this weekend and and and, uh, and test this last week to, for a change I made this weekend. So what's gonna happen is, you, you know, Microsoft's gonna release this update to the twenty thirteen client, which is gonna basically enable the bits and uh, the skinning to allow for the Skype for Business interface. That's controlled by a new client policy uh, called Enable Skype UI. You know, true or false. If it's obviously you know, it's self-explanatory. If it's true, that means it's you know it's, it's enabled. So the client will see that and then act accordingly. What's going to happen though if, if your users start just you know willy-nilly, willing willy-nilly, is that word? Um, start installing this patch and you don't have a policy in place, they're going to get a pop-up saying, "Hey, you know your organization, um, you know, does not." I forget the actual syntax, but what it's going to say is like you, you have a choice to ignore or say yes to restart in the other interface. So if you ha if you're on the 2013 backend and you have no policy, it's going to want to revert back to 2013. Um, and I so the point is, and I, and I don't know, you know, in the in the Microsoft articles, if they really made this clear enough, you need to get this regardless if you plan on install, you know, deploying Skype for Business in, in the next 25 years. I would have had this policy in place. By as soon as you hear this, right? I mean, uh, and hopefully you can get ahead of it before the. Is that is today's it? call 16th? to action? Yeah, is it the sixteenth when they're going to push? I forgot when they're going to push the client update down. But, but is this I, month? You, I would have yeah. this. Yeah, it's coming, right? Um, I would have this policy in place and set it to and and again, and if you have a group of people that you want to test and pilot this with, you can use Pat Richards' awesome uh, clone policy script to clone your, you know, your 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 uh, organization's global. Um, see his client policy set that you know add that add the enable skype ui uh commandlet set it to false on your global and then make a new policy clone it and make a new policy um for you know you know you know tap customer whatever you want to call it tap or testing or pilot and then enable it to true for those people and those people will get the new interface so i mean you know i, I like i said I, I would be i would cover your butt as soon as you can to and have this ahead of time because you know users are going to download the patch and it's going to drive you nuts, and they're going to call the help desk, because why does this pop-up box come in? And, and if you do have people that have been piloting it, they're going to lose the interface if they say no, you know, if you don't have the, the, the policy in place also. So I think this is going to be a mess as soon as they release this thing. So the best thing you can do, trust me, is, is get this policy in place um, as soon as you can. I mean, the new interface is awesome, but, you know, it's... it's yes, yes. Well, at least prepare uh, yourself, and yeah, uh, especially this is your, your... Definitely a help desk uh, user. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Um, because any change will, will undoubtedly increase your calls to, to help desk, so... Right, and if you in larger organizations, you probably have a scenario where, you know, the the office group... If somebody's going to approve this update to office, it's going to drop to your clients. You're not going to have the policy, and you as a link guy is going to get all these calls because... Users are saying, "Hey, I, I, I had the old, inter I had the new interface. I lost it. I, I don't want the new interface. Can I have the old interface? Why is this pop-up happening?" That's well, and, and then for, for those who have to click to run uh, updating, those aren't controlled, or mostly aren't right. controlled. Yeah, right. Uh, obviously, if you're an Office 365 customer and using Link Online, then then you probably you might want to hold things back, but you you you're really bought into to moving with the service. Right, that's a good point. I forgot to mention click to run yeah. because yeah, so now you you're not even in the loop, so to speak, of when this change comes down. 
but it's your link environment settings that are going to decide whether this interface is visible or not. You know. Yeah. So I mean, this is a very weird. Um, it's very cool because we you know, we never had this before where we have like the same client and it just flips a skin or not. Um, you know, between it is cool. Yeah. Some new. It's a great concept. I mean, would it be great if Outlook, you know, could change the new interface just without, you know, with just a push, you know, a policy of some kind? That'd be awesome. It's, it is good. It, it, the idea is great that you can keep people on a, on a certain skin uh, to to make sure that training requirements, all that sort of stuff, are met. However, it gets all the the, the under the hood changes. I suppose that that's that's a a feature of an evergreen service, isn't it? Where the, everything's brought along, uh, but it, it enables you to instead of having to hold back on a version. And miss right. critical security patches, then that the, you can control the, the interface so it looks at a level that you're happy with, and that that's good. Yeah, totally. but you've got to know uh, to do it. Yeah, uh, the, right. the, second yeah so, one, yeah, the second one, the second one, the second one on our last uh, Skype for Business topic today is actually about Skype for Windows Desktop. Uh, so Jeff uh, XPTA uh, dot com has put up a link saying. Uh, that he has noticed that Windows Update uh, now has started offering uh, the consumer Skype client. Yeah, the 7 client, yeah. Yeah, which is not particularly great if you're a Skype for Business customer and you're trying to avoid user confusion and you're trying to avoid things like click-to-call defaults being overridden. Uh, So it's really a warning. Don't allow that to be deployed to your environment. Uh, And if you've got no control over... Uh, a subset of those users, then at least you'll know that this could potentially happen. And you might get a little bit of confusion, especially with rebranding of clients. Yeah, no, this is great, uh, and it's a good point, and we were mentioning, talking about it before the, we started recording, about we had the same kind of issue with the with the Windows 8 app. Um, and if you have linked, the, you know, linked Desktop and then the, the Windows Store app installed, you know, the Store app can hijack some of the clicks, you know, some, some of the default um, you know, settings for, you know, action items and pick the other client as opposed to the desktop client. So just, you know, if you're going to install this, I mean, it's important to read this and understand that this is going to, this may hijack some of these, you know, click to call will now come up in the Skype, the Skype consumer interface and not the link slash Skype for business, you know, uh, application. So it definitely can cause them <laughs> more help desk. <laughs> yeah. And that's the last thing you want. Uh, so, no, right. <laughs> So to round out today's show, let's uh, run through some of the events that are coming up. There's obviously Ignite, uh, which is literally a month away. Uh, and uh, a bunch of us are speaking and are going to be there. Uh, and uh, so check it out now. And there should be the Event Zero uh, slash UC Architects party uh, to check out as well. So we'll pop up the link to Ignite on the blog. Uh, if you're UK-based, then there's a UC bug meeting uh, on May the 13th. Uh, that'll uh, have myself there speaking. Uh, Andrew Price, of course, runs it, uh, along with Jason Wynn and uh, Tom Arbuthnot will be visiting us uh, to, to give us a talk as well. Uh, later in the year, uh, on the 28th of September, we'll be running UC Day UK, uh, which is organised by myself, Andrew Price, Jason Wynn, uh, Ian Smith, Adam Gent, and of course Tom Arbuthnot, uh, which is basically a, a one-day mini mech uh, and link conference, or Skype for Business conference, in the UK, uh, uh, aimed at giving you a little bit of a taste of all the, the latest stuff uh, in lieu of having a conference around that time of the year. So it should be very, very interesting. Uh, and we're expecting to have a, a great lineup of, of MVPs, Microsoft staff, uh, and absolutely fantastic participation from various vendors as well. 
Uh, a little bit uh, closer in the future is the UC Expo, and uh, our very own Tom Arbuthnot will be speaking there uh, about replacing your PBX with Skype for Business in the real world. So it's thanks. Uh, Indeed, yes. So uh, I think that might be a session at RUC Bug as well. Uh, So anyway, so thank you guys uh, for joining me today. Uh, I know it's a a holiday. uh, So thank you very, very much. And Andrew, uh, hopefully we haven't had uh, too much for you to edit today. Uh, Event Zero has the most advanced analytics and reporting for Lincoln Scott for Business available today with over 12,000 reports, power lists and dashboards. The comprehensive toolset covers all modalities in a high level of detail, many of which provide administrators with real-time feedback about their environments. Watch for their new Polycom VVX provisioning tool coming very soon. To check them out, go to eventzero.com. And finally, before we go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today at www.theucarchitects.com or follow us on Twitter at The UC Architects. Be a friend and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash The UC Architects. And we're on LinkedIn. Join our group, The UC Architects. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you'll find us in the iTunes store, or search for us in the Windows Phone podcast app, or subscribe to the podcast using your favourite RSS podcast downloader. See our website for links to everything on the show today. We'll see you back for the next episode with Pat Hosting. <laughs>